I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch you dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. agreed on no yeah no it's i not. had a suggestion that i thought was way better so that's fine it was too blank checky is the problem it w- okay. was totally blank checky but <laughs> so i we, fine we won't use it at the intro but can i say it right now peter yeah we love to watch na 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 podcast <laughs> was that fun for you it felt it felt really good it was it was fun for me it was like putting on an old pair of pants and going these are pretty old, but <laughs> I should probably throw them away. Um, although, since it is blank checky, I guess let me rephrase that. It's like throwing on a pair of stolen pants, and you're like, should I really have these? And you're like, but they feel good around my junk area. And you're like, and then you think in your head, yeah, but that's someone else's junk area. That that's that's who whose junk should go there. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, it's fine though. These are my pants now. <laughs> <laughs> never, and now I've never taken them off. Anyway, um, so we're doing Batman from 1989 hey, as the kickoff sh- to... That's sh- a little more fanfare. First, okay. Peter, what podcast is this? Is it Blank Check or is it a little something called We Love to Watch? We Love to Watch. We so, Love to Watch. We it's a watch. podcast. We do themed months. Four or five movies on a theme. We compare, contrast the movies. We try and find some higher truth in really digging into a certain subgenre. And the superhero movies are now not even a subgenre. They're a genre. Genre, genre. If this is an old-time video store, it would be like drama, action, Marvel movies, and then like the sad DC movie one where you have to go through the old West doors. Uh, <laughs> where they put it's like porn is what I'm saying. Yeah, and then we because of that, Batman has become his own subgenre of superhero movies. We've gotten quite a few Batman movies and they are going to continue making them. They're already rebooting Batman, I believe. I think they're doing eight, eight different versions like with joker and who the fuck knows and they're making animated movies that have mixed results pretty regularly people yeah. didn't like the killing joke but they loved whatever the one was before that uh-huh. yeah I've, I've seen a lot of those so yeah this is this is something you know i said on previous podcasts that um we had really wanted to do a a series of movies for a month so that we're really f- narrowing the focus down 
and kind of talking about the evolution of not just a genre in general or a very specific subgenre or even just comparing that, but literally kind of a chronological uh, evolution of a particular idea. In this case, uh, blockbuster superhero Batman movies. I kind of forgot as I was as I was thinking about today that we we kind of did a series with uh, with the dead movies back in November. But I guess those are so much more like we use that to talk about George Romero and his zombie stuff. And even though those are very loosely connected, they weren't necessarily supposed to be like direct sequels where this is such a weird series because this is supposed to be direct sequels, even as less and less things get common between entries uh, as it goes along. And these movies were so epochal for me. Uh, growing up. They were so important to me. They were, you know, the first modern superhero movie. They were they were adapting um, my favorite superhero, the one I was most familiar with. So, obviously, the first two are kind of considered uh, classics or fondly remembered for the most part. And then you get into the next two and they're kind of hated. We're planning to talk about the, ne- the last two, the Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, the Schumacher ones. Hopefully as with with fresh eyes, not looking at them as the franchise killers they've been viewed as because the franchise bounced back and then has bounced way too far back to never ending. Uh, But just kind of these weird curiosos that I think it's probably been been hard to watch without feeling animosity towards what they did to Batman for a while. So and what's interesting, though, is to add in even these the first two movies are kind of divisive among fans, particularly the comic book people. They were just more. These were more critically successful. The first two were more critically successful than the Schumacher ones that Burton's. And I really want to talk about the divisiveness among comic book people, because I kind of feel like that was a little bit, not just overblown, but in looking at the rear view mirror, they decided they have a problem with it because, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So, so this is Batman, uh, Burton Batman, uh, which still feels like, even though Burton only directed the first two, Burton Batman month feels like the perfect name for this because he produced the third one. The third and the fourth one, while not directed by Tim Burton, feel like a, uh, a paradigm shift or like a correction from where Burton uh, took the series. So yeah, we're excited to welcome you. This is also going to be a weird month for us because we're recording the first two of these in February and then the last two in uh, the end of April. So, which I can only see Peter helping the Schumacher movies if we view them as far away from the two Burton ones as possible. Yeah, I, I don't think the comparison is going to help because I'm generally fond of the Burton ones, as as you might expect. But uh, uh, the Schumacher revisit is going to be interesting for me because it has been a really long time. Like a really, me, a me really too. long time. I'm very excited about this month. I think it makes the most sense, Peter. And you know what? We care about making sense. I, or, you know, I, I care about sometimes I'm like, you know, stop making sense. Oh, yeah. And then you put on a giant suit. Mm-hmm. And you say, dun, dun, television. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the best impression I've ever done on this show? I think it might be. Yeah. Oh. Watching the days go by. Oh, you want a different song. Same as it ever was. Now, we should clarify for the audience why this is important to talk about kind of our history with Batman and where we were at when we first watched this movie. Because you can check. I, I went through all the tapes of our podcast. Every single one. And I found out that we say bat sometimes. Mm -hmm. We've said man a lot. 
Yes. And then weirdly, our most common word, period, forget this even analogy, just in general, our most common word is man bat. That was a surprising when I got the little word what do they call the word graphics? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like man bat in the middle, and then like there's a Richard and a talk going a- on each side. <laughs> it's like a shitty acrostic or something. It's it's just there's- like a it's a word cloud. Word cloud, exactly. I was surprised to find man bat, number one word cloud. Word that we've used, uh, but the tapes don't lie, and we've Neither never said. Tips. Oh no! Well, they can't because they're because they're, they're on forward. tonight. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm starting to feel this right. Yeah, uh, who's the Shakir? Who's the Wyclef? Yeah, call call in one eight hundred. I don't know. We love to watch. Tell us who you think is the Wyclef and who you think is the Shakira. Either way, your answers are going to be a little problematic. So, speaking of histories, uh, Batman. Peter, what, what's your hiss? What's your hiss uh, with the B-Man? What's my hiss? Uh, Batman was, is truly the only superhero that I was attached to, like, through my Me entire too. childhood. Me too. Well, I didn't know that. I honestly didn't know that about you. Yeah. I, I didn't way. really read comic books growing up, and I just loved Batman because of the animated show, Mask of the Phantasm, and these two movies, mostly. I'm a little older than you. Um, I was then. Still am. That's how time works. Look it up. So, I, when I was in kindergarten and preschool, I was living in Montana, and I'd come home after school... And the Batman uh, 60s television show was in syndication. I didn't know it was syndicated. I just thought my this Batman show was on. I also didn't know it was supposed to be funny. You know, I'm like five years old. It's This is amazing. So I would go as Batman for Halloween. I would make Batman costumes. I would find Batman toys. We'd go to the video store and I'd rent like – there was like uh, Super Friends type spinoffs of like Batman cartoons. So I was obsessed and it was really the only one that I knew – like, I, I knew who Superman was, but I didn't see those movies till I was maybe third, fourth, or fifth grade, somewhere in there. And Spider-Man, I don't think I – there was just no property to connect with because I didn't read comics like like you. And so, it was all movies and TVs and Batman had the best ones of those. So – or really the only one available at that age for me. So, when Batman – this movie came out, I was like – this is amazing, and I wasn't allowed to go see it in theaters, but my dad had knew I was obsessed with seeing this movie. I was six years old, came out, he rented it, he watched it the night before, and then said, okay, I think it's going to be a little scary for you, but we can watch it. But he said, you know, if it gets scary, we'll turn it off at any moment. Well, no six-year-old in the world is going to turn off that fucking movie. So, Especially if you know your friends are watching it. You're yeah. like, well, yeah, I got to make it through this sucker. Yeah, so I watched the whole thing and I and then never watched it again until I was probably in junior high because we didn't own it. When Batman Returns came around, Batman became kind of banned in our house. Like I wasn't technically allowed to see that movie and I watched it um I watched it at a sleepover where you see all forbidden things. Um, <laughs> yeah, there were like speakeasies of the of the childhood yeah. era. Yeah, uh, the mom the moms dress up like flappers and like choose from this selection of movies, and you're like Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, Ooh, Batman Returns. And I remember, like, I think at the sleepover to even add more context, I saw that my friend owned it, and I watched it while they did something else. Like, it was one of those, like, multi-friend sleepovers. Did you have those? I don't know how much time's changed. What do you you mean, multi-friend? Please, please elaborate. So, you know how, like, you you know, like, Quato. 
<laughs> you know how you no, might have a friend, no, but my you friend might you might, might have a little friend tits. with like a quado inside. It's <laughs> what you call a multi friend. Sometimes he's your friend Roy. Sometimes he's quado. Multi friend sounds like a really rude name for someone that's a conjoined twin. <laughs> no, so it wasn't that. No, it's just like a friend you can do other things with, like a multi use tool. Like I can play with him, or I can a talk Swiss to Army him. friend. So yeah, it's a mul- oh, so you called him a Swiss Army friend. I called him multi friend. Yeah. Um, no, I just mean that like there was more than one kid over. Like so, like yeah, three yeah. of us so, like, were at- multiple activities going on, like uh, multiple uh, human beings. I guess would yeah. be a good way to put it. My example would be like there's a shitty old TV in the corner that kids are playing on sixty four on, and then on the big TV, kids are watching sports or a movie or something exactly so i think they might have played video games or even like a board game or something but like probably some cool heroes quest or some you know uh game like that and i like i'm like watching batman which is for apparently for virgin cores well probably all everyone who didn't have insane parents at that time was like yeah i've seen that movie 10 times it's batman returns it's great how have you not seen that <laughs> so i but regardless i remember just what kind of watching it by myself just hey, obsessed. Like, fat Danny DeVito bites off a dude's nose. And any child should be able to watch this. You should love that. Yeah. You should be a kid. You should watch Danny DeVito eat human flesh and watch uh, a very confusing Michelle Pfeiffer for you at that age, probably. <laughs> yeah. The star of Taxi has fins and he tries to fuck Michelle Pfeiffer in a leather suit. That's obviously a kid's movie. Yeah. If, if you're – yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. But if you're a kid, your number one concern when you see Danny DeVito bite off a person's nose is go, hey – isn't that guy from Taxi? Where's Tony Danza? Hey, hey! And then I didn't tell my parents about. It. So uh, it wasn't until Batman Forever that it kind of like I was twelve years old, and then it kind of my dad took me to that and became okay again. But there was a while where Batman, and I know this was not just in my house because the whole reason why Batman Forever took such a turn is because parents about Batman Returns were like, "No, how? What is this?" Um, and then, uh, you know, I got into the animated series as well, although I had to watch that at a friend's house. Um, but it was really the only superhero that I ever kind of felt a personal connection to just because with not reading comic books and kind of a kind of a lack of ability to, to kind of digest the other stuff. You know, in high school and college and everything else, I told everyone my favorite superhero was Batman. Like, it never really changed for me. I, if someone were to ask me right this second who your favorite superhero is I'd be like, oh shit, am I on Reddit? And then two, I'd probably say Batman. <laughs> yeah, um, I think also Batman has gotten a really good shake in terms of media. There's a pretty good argument for a few different Batman movies and TV shows and stuff being the best version of Batman. Yeah. Um, I, I'm of the camp that says The Dark Knight is probably the best superhero movie out there. Um as someone who's mostly on board with the superhero uh, genre, but is yeah. kind of kind of reserved from it, we well, you, you can go listen to our Iron Man three. <laughs> yeah, but my, uh, but my point is, you can make a pretty good argument that that's the you know that's the best Batman movie. You can make an argument that this or Returns. A lot a lot of people will say Mask of the Phantasm because they love Kevin Conroy's version, and, and yeah. that's just a that's just an amazing movie. Um, I think you can. I think you at the very least you can agree baseline. That even if you disagree what your favorite Batman movie is, that Batman has the most good movies in aggregate. Or at least like worth watching. Like even if you even if you don't like love Batman Returns, like it is it is truly a unique piece of, of visual storytelling. And it's Tim Burton basically having a, a like blank check, for lack of a better term, 
uh, product where product project where he gets to really push his visual techniques, his visual aesthetic techniques from this to extremes that even threw off people then. So like there's 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 a lot of art throughout all the different Batman movies that um, I I'm going to be honest, like the Brian Singer X-Men movies are all very competent um some of them have some dramatic import that i'm into x2 is is a pretty good movie but like none of them really age well for me because i don't think i don't think any of them have particular thematic resonance for me and i don't think that they have like particular um aesthetic uniqueness that like they're more historically important than yeah no i agree i tried to watch the original x-men movie and i was kind of a little bit bored by it and x2 is fine but at least X2 has good fight scenes. Like X2 is a it has a good wolf, a lot of Wolverine stuff in there is really fun. Yeah, I mean the only X-Men movie that would like be considered for a top 250 list for me is is First Class. Like I love that movie. I don't know. I'm 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 of the I am of the the mind that the Batman series has the most diversity among it and it's yeah. the most worth talking about. Like Batman versus Superman I think is a not good movie, but is a movie that I can't let go because it's <laughs> so interesting to talk about and the the aesthetics of of what Zack Snyder decided to do in certain like dream sequences in particular really interesting to me and most of all most of all it is because people are very conservative with what the Batman character is and that movie broke all those rules for a lot of people that's interesting that you say that though because um not necessarily I, me but for people well but people People felt like it broke all the rules of the Nolanverse. Should we – I think that we've kind of got a sense of our past and and I don't want to belabor this, but I feel like it. we almost do need to talk a little bit about the Nolan Batman movies because they are such a sense of these are the true Batman movies. Do you want to do like a couple minutes? Because – I feel like they are going to be the elephant in the room when you're talking about Batman movies. Uh, so the Nolan movies, in terms of aesthetic and the technical skill that Christopher Nolan has as a filmmaker, makes them my favorite movies. And also the way that it took the version of Frank Mil- the, the version of Batman that I uh, got attached to, which is the Frank Miller Year One and Dark Knight Returns Batman, and takes some of that stuff and. Uh, kind of grounds it in a, a believable world. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I without, you know, without <laughs> putting too fine a point on it, my favorite Batman movies are the, the Nolan ones. Like, so can I, it's a very edgelord answer. I know, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not really. Yeah. It's obviously not. And I almost hate saying this because I, I don't want to slack off the Nolan movies. Cause I love those. Like I actually just rewatched all three in the last two months because another podcast that we have not mentioned, uh, I was going through their Nolan miniseries and it'd been a couple years since I've seen the Batman movies and I still love all of them. I always have, but these first two Burton Batman movies are my, my favorite Batman movie. You know, dark Knight would be a third and I, I'm not going to argue that Dark Knight is probably a better directed movie and a probably more faithful interpretation to the character. But we'll talk about it when we get into talking about Batman. But there's just things I love about the the Michael Keaton portrayal and the more fantastical portrayal of Gotham and Batman that I think re- the approach to realism that Nolan takes uh, kind of sucks a little bit of the – 
the warm feeling I get from those movies. So I, I really do love those movies. I, the last thing I would ever say, I mean, I, I saw Dark Knight in theaters like four times. I'm not trying to do a reverse edge lore and say I think the Nolan movies are bad. They just don't have that same warm, special favorite movie place for me as Batman and Batman Returns. You know, you were talking about Batman versus Superman being like the new edgelord version of Batman that everyone gets pissed about. I will say we're going to talk a little bit what happens in Batman and the way that like Keaton doesn't follow the Batman rules once we get into the, the show proper. But I'll admit, I kind of feel the the extremism and fervor that too many shitty Nolan fans took from the Nolan Batman movies as like something that almost frustrates me towards them. That makes makes them a little frustrating to me. The way that like too many fanboys took those movies as the only possible interpretation of Batman and now like throw their hands up when like Batman vs Superman is not a good movie, but the fact that I had to read a billion internet comments about Batman doesn't kill people. It's like, well, who the fuck cares? Like, you know, this Batman kills people. It's okay to do a different interpretation of the character. But those movies just between being Nolan movies and amazing movies and a Batman movies that also reinvented the superhero genre. I just feel like they're they're treated a little bit too much like the actual word of the Lord. Yeah. And, and less is like. This is this is just a really good series of superhero movies. So, and that's not the movie's fault. It's not. That should not take away from the movies, but if if I was to say that it hasn't weighed on me and took a little bit of the shine off those movies, I would be lying. It's not the movie's fault. It's just living in the world and having to deal with the omnipresence of Nolan and Batman fanboys on the internet. I also I also agree with you that uh, there is a there's almost like a politicization of this debate and that like wading into these waters can be a little bit dangerous with with like uh, there's an entire DC contingent that is like vicious about any criticism of the new movies, um, which I'm a defender of as okay, interesting ex- experiments. But I, I think that the the central thing about Batman is, A, he is a weird character. There's nothing you can do to make me think that, like, Batman is some sort of normal person that yeah. doesn't have a bunch of fucked up emotional issues going on in his head and that his his job and what he's doing is totally noble. Well, that, And that's one thing I can't wait to talk about Batman because in Batman, in, in Burton's Batman movies – Batman is a fucking weirdo. He, he is, is not so he's not weird. he's so weird. He's not just like an angry boy who like never got over his parents being killed and then like created a persona to deal with his pain. The, calling him an angry boy sounded uh, patronizing and dismissive in a way I didn't mean it. So to be clear, that's a that's a great interpretation of the character, but Batman in 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 Burton's Batman movies seems like he could couldn't be less affected by his parents' death. And it's just like, oh, interesting. I'm finding out more about that. And it's yeah. just, it's such an insane interpretation of the character as just this this weirdo. Also, politically, there is a, speaking in a more literal political sense, there is a <clears throat> conservative attachment to Batman as a character. Yeah. Just like there is as a Punisher the character. And that's grounded in a couple things. One, it's the belief in... Um, Vigilante justice as a legitimate means of, of, you know, accomplishing justice. 
And Batman also can be very fascist at times. And so that's why I always, whenever the whenever people get too excited about the Nolan movies as some, and are also conservative, I get a little weary because I'm like, ooh, did you take the wrong lessons from the end of Dark Knight? Yeah, I feel like that's the other problem with the Nolan movies. There's a lot of political baggage to to them both ways because I've seen them as like, you're right, this vindication for like, a fascist state or Bush's war on terror. And then I've also seen them as the reverse where actually no right wingers. It's a criticism on the power of surveillance and fascism and, and having too much power in one person and stuff like that. And I, I would lean towards the latter on that. But again, it's just the idea that they're because Nolan's movies are so taking on the real world and so placed in the real world. I think it makes sense that you have to discuss the real world implications of this superhero and the superhero villains that's created and tied up with all the other things I just said about the Nolan Batman movies. Sometimes that just gets exhausting. <laughs> I, you know, I it's there's a lot of baggage in those movies and they're great movies and again it's not it's it's not the movie's fault that there's so much surrounding so much bullshit surrounding them but that's what happens when you make like one of the biggest movies of all time that that has this much of an impact on people at a time when the internet is like booming and blossoming and you know i can go back to these like burton movies and it's just like a fun weird bizarre story of this man who dresses like a bat and resides in a fucking German expressionist painting with a bunch of other weirdos and beats them up. And like that as an escape for me is from current superhero conversations or everything wrapped up in the DC universe right now and the way Batman's been politicized um, around the globe and back is – just like refreshing and exhilarating for me. Yeah, it's kind of fun in a sense that this person that both of us looked up to as a, as children. And did you ever have Batman Halloween costumes? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I literally like my brother and I made Batman and Robin just like costumes for just going about our day sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello, sir. This is a great thing about being the oldest, though. I always got to be Batman. I'm assuming if you did that with your siblings. You were Robin. Mm, it's Robin. No, uh, my older brother was a comic book nerd for a little bit of time, but he was never really like the uh, dress up with his brother kind of nerd. So, um, well, if you're listening, Peter could use a hug right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I always can use a hug. A nice warm hug, not too sweaty, not too did clammy. We, oh. Did we hug when we met each other? I think we did. I imagine I hugged you three to four times. I think so. I'm a big. Hey, I'm a big hugger too. I'm a big. I'm a big I'm consensual a Midwestern hugger. man. I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. Like, I'm not just like hugging people to be like, we're having a conversation. I better interrupt it with a hug. Uh, but like, sir, I know I'm you're happy about this Domino's coming to your house, but I have boundaries. <laughs> this is my tip. <laughs> He's like, sir, I definitely do not want to get closer. Though. No, no, sir, I felt your tip. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, but I, it is fun to see Batman be relevant again, especially in a political thing where people are arguing about um, which version of the character, uh, you know, is is giving kids the wrong message, which version of the character is sending the wrong message to misguided adults. Uh, you know, are these new movies, these new DC movies, are they uh, actually saying something interesting about the character or is it just 
a, uh, a, a canary to let us know that this this character maybe is nearing his death. Maybe Batman needs needs to be put in the ground for twenty or thirty years. So I, I do really got it. We got to cut the cord at some point because we could talk about Batman as a character, a generalized character, for six hours and then talk about the movie. So. Yeah, but I I think that both sets up already our history with this movie specifically, and also kind of where we're coming from from Batman. So um, it definitely sounds like I'm a little bit of a. I mean, these are the first two Burton movies are, you know, two of my. If I had to make a top 100, I would have trouble deciding which one of these to, to leave on because I'd feel kind of shitty having two Burton Batman movies on the list of 100 movies. Like, I got to be able to think of something else. But uh, it would be a tough choice for me. And obviously um, – No shame. Whenever yeah, you're putting together a top 100, no shame. You're not making the list for anybody but yourself. Yeah, but you don't understand, Peter. I – in my my worst top 100 judge, so I need to impress a total monster. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Peter Peter uh, is fond of these, but uh, it sounds like prefers given a given a choice between a locker containing an equal amount of dead bodies, but one of them has Blu-ray of the Dark Knight trilogy, and the other one has the Blu-ray of the two Burton movies. It sounds like you're going locker dead bodies, Nolan Batman movies. Yeah, I am, and I really hope that doesn't make me sound like an edgelord, but hopefully they keep making bad DC movies so the Nolan movies keep looking better and better, right? <laughs> like, they're well, these, they're... like, calm, reserved, sober movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, like, trying to do the, the Trump technique where, like, Bush was such a bad president. What if we all rally around Trump? It's like, well, you didn't need to do that with the Nolan Batman movies because people like those. <laughs> yeah, too much. We need to bring Batman way down so we can do a good middle-of-the-road movie that people love. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, let's let's talk about the, the, the Batman movie that started the modern superhero movie, uh, 1989's Batman. Batman. Listening back, Peter, to our episodes where we started welcoming people back after a 20-second music break, and I got to say, I don't like it. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we're not gone long enough for it to not be super weird. Peter, your thoughts? Um, I feel like we should just start talking. I feel like we should just get into it, get into the meat. You, but if we don't say welcome back, how will people know that we went to the bathroom and cut out 10 minutes of silence or sometimes 30 minutes of unrelated conversation. <laughs> I think people will just know they're welcome. It's a podcast. Do you? Oh, okay. I'm actually, I was going to propose that we keep it in after the music break, but start re-welcoming them back every two minutes in case they left the room for something. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Make everyone feel inclusive. Yeah, you're right. We should do what radio does, which is just, if you're just tuning in now. The um, Nazis are at our front door. <laughs> you know, if uh, if your workout just got boring now, um, if, you, if your actual workday just got boring now, 
let's take a poll how people listen most, whether it's driving in cars, uh, driving in cars with boys. Here in my car, I feel safest of all. Oh, that's a great place to be. Uh, Or working out or drifting off to sleep and figure out what what little additives would make the most sense for our listeners. Like, should we be like, you're doing great. Keep lifting those legs up. You're going to look great in that swimsuit. Now back to Batman. Or should we be like, go to sleep, <laughs> little one. Batman's watching you now. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> oh, it's supposed to be. I want people to have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're your own sort of Batman. Yeah, if Batman inspired nightmares to people trying to fall asleep to my podcast. So really, you're a scarecrow. I'm more like a, yeah, like a man bat. Oh, that's why we say it so much. It's <laughs> finally <laughs> <laughs> coming together. Oh, glad I was able to tie up that joke. Peter, uh, I am altered at taglines. Uh, you are. I bet you are. I know you are. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> um, it's great. It's on theme, Tim Burton movie. Nailing it. Yeah, so my alternate tagline would be, Hey, kid, you want to see a really good movie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or, do you want to see a weirdo dress in foam rubber and fight people? The one before the nipples. So I'm like looking, I looked at IMDb. I'm not seeing a fucking tagline. I did not think so. Like, because remember all the posters for this movie was just that amazing and posting. No, it doesn't even say Batman on half the posters. It's just that imposing bat signal with uh, Nicholson Keaton. Uh, Tagline is, uh, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. In a movie with a lot of great dialogue, that is my favorite line. And And a line I say pretty often, and I feel like most people listening have said that line in general conversation before. I hope so. It's a great, it's a great quote. Uh, Aaron, I'd like to now do a quick recap on the film Batman 1989. By, you have my permission. By Tom Barton. By Tom, by Tim Brogan. <laughs> <laughs> by Tom Brokaw. I, I, I think the more we can just be uh, Steve Brule. Uh, the better <laughs> Michael Creighton <laughs> The bat who Jack was a Nickel man <laughs> Alright, Batman opens with A family getting accosted By ruffians And Batman re-accosts those ruffians It's it's Batman, of course he's gonna accost the ruffians They're oh, he, ruffians he, He's a rich man, so he knows a lot about accosts Yeah <laughs> That's the other thing that's kind of weird about any Batman movie is when he's just like beating up on muggers when you're like, hey, but like, like maybe they have kids at home. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on in their situation. Uh, well, I mean, they, these, they make them really evil in this. Though. These like, guys are yeah. a kid. It's almost like they're comic book villains in this movie where yes. you don't need to add any humanity to them because even when they're on the roof, like the bat. Like, yeah. if you have a kid at home, you've you've developed a, a way of speaking that is can put your children to bed at night. And it's not like, the bat! Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds like um, Tom Waits is making fun of a carnival barker. The, the, that first guy does look like Tom Waits in some heavy makeup. The <laughs> uh, Batman's, you know, roughing up some ruffians um, at the same time. He's uh, he's going off. He's he's socializing as this guy Bruce Wayne. 
Kind yeah, of. That, you if you call that, socializing hiding in his closet while other people have a party in his house, yep, he socializes. That's, so that's sort of the way they make Batman more of a populist hero is that he doesn't like his his fame and is is uh, he doesn't like his his money and that he's it's kind of a it's a burden that he has to carry because of the death of his parents. Like he didn't want this empire to be dropped on his head, but it so has you, to you, be. Hold on, you you think that's happening in this movie? Oh yeah! Oh, really? For sure. Remember the dinner scene where he's like really, really uncomfortable. And- yeah, but see, I always think like he—he's yeah. You're. I agree with you that he's uncomfortable with like his lineage and like that he's supposed to be a rich guy. I think it's way beyond like him playing a um like a oh I guess I'm supposed to be a rich guy. Like he seems like he's just kind of stumbling his way through like being a normal human being. It's like he he plays Batman like he woke up from a coma. With amnesia, looked around, said, I'm a rich guy, I guess, and I'll just be a rich guy now. And what do rich guys do? And is like improving his way through his entire life because at the core, he's just a messed up weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I, I love that scene, but the fact that they give so little um, mention in these movies to like Bruce Wayne being like a famous rich guy, like business people know him, but. It is just like he's – oh, yeah, he's got that guy at that mansion who people tell weird stories about. Like he is much more of a rich hermit in these movies than he is in the other interpretations. Uh, so, yeah, the one thing that you get from all the movies – in Dark Knight, there's a scene that I remember and no one else remembers when uh, he's you know doing his schmoozy thing because Dark Knight has a little bit of Patrick Bateman in it. Christian Bale has a little Patrick Bateman in him in that. Batman um, begins too because that's when he falls in the fountain. Yes, with the supermodels. Yeah. yeah. And then in Dark Knight, he's on a yacht with supermodels as cover for him going to China and extraditing a criminal. In Dark Knight, um, he, there's a scene with him going on a balcony. He, like, pours the champagne out and it's supposed to symbolize that, like, you know, he doesn't like the trappings of, of wealth. Um, and this movie uh, has a scene where... Batman is like sort of walking around a party, but he doesn't really know how rich people are supposed to act. I don't think like because Michael Keaton, just like Jack Nicholson is bringing a lot of Jack Nicholson to the Joker. Michael Keaton is bringing a lot of Michael Keaton to Batman. This sort of like, I'm just like a regular guy. I'm like a working class regular guy. And so like Batman in this movie is always sort of like he doesn't exactly know like what he's supposed to be doing as a rich guy. He's just sort of like at these parties and he feels a little uncomfortable and people at like butlers will ask him questions about how many crates of champagne he needs to open. He's like, I don't know, like six. Uh, yeah. Six sound good. You don't see him interact with I I guess you see him kind of throwing the dice at that one one point. Yeah. This but is like, this is yeah, yeah. Bizarre. I lo- I love it. I love how they don't feel the need to be like, well, we have to give him a normal life because then people will figure out he's Batman. They don't lean into the Bruce Wayne part of this movie. They just make Bruce Wayne a, this total weirdo who feels like he's never spoken to another human being. And when he does, he's play acting himself. Even – this is – we're really getting off topic. I'm very excited to talk about this movie, so I apologize. But even the parts where um, he goes to visit his parents' grave – it feels like he's just like doing this because, oh, this is what you do when your parents were murdered in front of you. He just goes and he drops the roses, then he goes off. And when he finds out Joker may have killed his parents or Joker killed his parents, he's like, interesting, another piece of the puzzle. And even when he throws it in Joker's face, it's like, oh, yeah, take this. It's bizarre how little he feels like only at home when he gets to run around as Batman. <laughs> Yeah, I I I think in some movies uh Bruce Wayne 
is uh, Bruce Wayne and that Batman is something he dons so that he can get away with doing what he wants to do to save the city. In some movies, Bruce Wayne is an is a cover for Batman and Batman is who he really is. Uh, that's more of a Dark Knight thing. Like uh, in, in Dark Knight, the only time you really see Bruce Wayne really comfortable is when he's like, talking about batman stuff but not in the costume <laughs> but 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 he in this movie i feel like i feel like michael keaton is you know he is bruce wayne he's bruce wayne but then he's like he's like a dude who's like well i just need the costume to go beat up bad guys so he uses the costume exactly so you're right in the dark knight trilogy he is playing a bruce wayne that can be a good public image but when i watch the dark knight trilogy i get a sense of who bruce wayne really is as a person like i get a sense of someone who feels like there's injustice in the world and uh, is in love with a with a woman and dealt with a lot of personal stuff from feeling his parents gunned down now that's not the bruce wayne that he's projecting to people because he wants to throw people off the scent of batman but the bruce wayne in the dark knight trilogy he wants to stop being Batman. It's kind of the whole arc of those three movies is how do I stop this thing because I wanted to make my city that my parents built live up to that legacy a better place. Here, you're right, Peter. He he really is only at home and sm- like just having fun when he's Batman. And you're right. Like he – the whole thing with the bats in this movie, he says at one point, bats are great survivors – like, there's none of that whole, like, oh, fear-inspired and these scared me. Like, he just seems like a weirdo who likes bats and wants to dress up with them and, like, maybe thinks about his parents in some relation. But, no, he just he just feels like someone who wants to go beat up bad guys dressed as a bat. And that's great. Yeah, that's, that's it's a great point. Because Batman in this movie is basically, like, he stumbles. He's just working his way forward. He's beating up crooks. And then he's at a party. He runs into two reporters, Kim Basinger and Robert Wall. Um, Robert Wall was a stand-up. Kim Basinger was uh, uh, I the, believe you the mean it girl. Arliss. And Arliss. He was, she was the it girl of the late 80s, early 90s. And then yeah. her career kind of imploded because she was um, deemed hard to work with. How much of that is sexism and how much of that is actually actors just going crazy? I don't know. Uh, um, I, I would guess a lot of sexism, considering that started to happen after she won the fucking Academy Award. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine, I imagine it's probably just sexism, women getting older, that sort of, that sort of awful All shit. All the nonsense she, stuff. She's great in this. Um, yeah. I think that that conversation will get really relevant when we inevitably do LA Confidential. But yeah, yeah. But anyways, so uh, he, he sort of uh, has a connection. With Kim Basinger, who is investigating Batman. She's this, like, war photographer and fashion photographer who does, like, very hip photo shoots. She's investigating Batman. She asks for a dinner with Batman. At the same time, uh, Jack Nicholson is this uh, Jack Napier, this, like, mob hood who gets set up for his by his boss for um, fucking the boss's wife. Um, he gets set up by his boss, Jack Palance, for, um, for having sex with his wife and... Basically, like, sends him to do a job, and the job is a setup. The cops show up. Uh, there's a shootout with the cops and the, and the mobsters, and uh, Jack Napier falls into a vat of green goo, and Batman cannot save him. I would also say he does not try. <laughs> Batman only sort of tries to save him. There's a... There's he's the got a sh- weird smile on his face when he's, like, half-heartedly holding on to his hand, and that's it. Yes, uh, Batman is a murderer in this movie. We'll get to that later. Um, I want to talk about that right after the plot recap. 
People freaking out about Batman being a murderer is uh, a little silly because Batman has been a murderer for a very long time. Um, so at the very least, he's like a even in the Nolan movies, he's a manslaughterer. Yeah, yeah. In the <laughs> Nolan movies, they take a lot of time to like pretend like concussions and fucking face punches and dropping people off buildings doesn't actually kill them. But anyways, so Batman goes to uh, this factory. He has this altercation with this guy. Then we see. The character of Jack Napier becomes the Joker in this sort of, like, transformation sequence. And he takes over the entire mob organization. He kills Jack Palance, and he starts running all these crazy jobs around the city, getting the attention of Batman and Kim Basinger. He catches a shot of Kim Basinger, uh, you know, finds her really beautiful, really interesting, and decides he needs to woo her. And he, uh... He kind of pursues her at the same time Batman is pursuing her. Batman and her have a very successful date. Batman has to start to store that. Batman starts to ignore her because um, he's Batman. He has he has higher duties and he sort of catches himself like getting too attached to the, the uh, domestic life. Like he kind of feels like he can't provide a domestic life to her. Very normal, uh, sort of like a cliche, men are afraid of commitment bullshit. I don't know if it's that in this movie. It just feels like he, again, his true love is Batman and being Batman. And so he just like, I think there's less of a fear of commitment and more just like, a, I got, oh, I got focused on my own shit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, she's really nice. I like her a lot. Yeah. But he is, he is clearly very into her. It's not a James Bond thing where he's like, you're hot. And then the movie just moves on from the woman. Uh, yeah, he feels like someone understands who he really is, which is this weirdo that likes to go do crazy shit in the night. And he's not really good at being a rich person. There's a scene where he's trying to tell her she, he's Batman and he fails and fails. And then Joker invades her home, shoots Bruce Wayne dead, and she sort of gets you know taken away. Um, oh, no, she doesn't get kidnapped there, does she? Uh, no, no, he leaves her. In the apartment. Her. He leaves yeah, her. No, he so leaves for some reason, Joker decides to leave her in the apartment after coming to basically kidnap her or woo her. Uh, and then I think he was trying every- to woo at that point. I think it doesn't become like it's only at the end when there's chaos going on that he feels like he needs to up his game. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, Batman survived. Batman goes back to his his crib and he's uh, and Kim Basinger goes looking for for Bruce for some reason. I'll get into that later. Uh, goes looking for Bruce, ends up at the house somehow, and then Alfred just lets her into the Batcave and kind of solves that whole, like, oh, I don't know how to tell her how I feel and what what's inside of me, like that whole subplot. Yeah. Um, Alfred basically just solves it by being like, he's in the basement. It's a Batcave. Uh, watch your step. It's wet down there with, rat, with bat shit. Then the movie progresses forward with those two knowing kind of what each other is up to. And there's a big bicentennial for for Bat, uh, for Gotham coming up, a big party. And what basically happens is Joker's going to release uh, a bunch of gas over the city. And so it reminded me of the plot mechanics. So basically everybody in Gotham is using one or two chemicals. So that, that, so that yeah. With, sorry, go on. Oh, I thought you said remind me. Oh, yeah, go on. I, r- r- remind me, but also, like, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's that there's you need two chemicals for it to become poison and that everybody is using for certain products that are the, like, A chemical and he's going to release the B chemical over the city. No, no. So that that plot was already solved. 
right? Oh, okay. So he had mixed all these chemicals where if you used a certain like a certain deodorant and a super and a certain shampoo, you would die with the Joker smile on your face. Um, and then Batman eventually cracks the code and they and they get new products and he, the news is like. Oh, hey, here's here's what to avoid. Batman solved it. So then Batman's a hero. So then he just goes and throws a giant parade and throws money. Also has these parade balloons that are supposed to unleash the gas and just kill everyone. Like, forget the middleman of the toxins. Just you get the gas, you die. And a bunch of people die with Joker smiles on the face. And then they go up. Basically, the bat copter or the bat jet takes all the balloons away. And then it becomes that confrontation on the, the church where Batman beats the Joker he falls to his death and then is just with with Vicky Vale. Yeah, and Vicky Vale leaves town, um, which is really nice that they don't set up the end of the movie with her and him together together while still being together. Because in the se- well, the sequel he mentions that it didn't work out with her. Yeah, but I, I I think it's pretty clear at the end of the movie that she is moving on from Gotham. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I think, I got the I sense they were still together because I thought they'd just taken him to. Because he, he, she gets in the car with Alfred. She gets in the car with Alfred, but she's saying goodbye to Robert Wall. So she's basically, like, not doing any work in Gotham anymore. Yeah. She's just she's just going kind of to see Batman. So it yeah. kind of makes, makes sense for me that it, it, she is not going to be a standard of the, the Gotham um, journalist community in the second one. Like, it yeah. kind of works that in the second one she's not in it because, like, the movie – Kind of sets up, and I, I don't. I will talk about it next week. Sort of why Kim Basinger isn't in it, but uh, yeah, that's basically another movie. Is that they're they're together? I'm just saying she's not Lois Lane, is what I was trying to say. Well, I, I think she was almost made as a Lois Lane because she is an original creation. I think that works for this movie, but I, it, it does make more sense to be for Batman to be kind of attracted to other weirdos like Catwoman in later yes. movies. But yeah, but yes, um, yes. but I think kind of. This is not a Batman origin story. It is a Joker origin story. I, I think that works very well for the movie that you don't get to you don't get that much in on Batman in either of these movies. He's just a he's just a bizarre eccentric guy. I wrote a note that I think is very true that if you were to play if Michael Keaton was playing Bruce Wayne as someone who had killed the real Bruce Wayne and was taking over his life pretending to be him, you would play him the exact way. <laughs> like you wouldn't yes. change his portrayal of Bruce Wayne at all. It's a great performance, and I think the closer you get to that performance of, like, humanizing him or letting him know where he came from, you get a completely different movie than what Burton's going for. That's where you get the Christian Bale one where he has a lot more uh, emotional stake. But I love that Burton doesn't let you really get in there. But because it's a movie and you need to get in there a little, that's where the Vicky Vale – because you need to have scenes of Batman as Bruce Wayne. If you don't have that, you don't have much of a movie. She's a reflection character. Exactly. Um, so she's there. They she's there. Movies. Yeah. The way that she 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 reacts to him lets you know how to feel about him, as and just lets you have some scenes with Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne, so he's not Batman the whole movie. It's one of the criticisms of Batman Returns that because there's much less scenes like that, you basically have all scenes of the villains, and then like one or two scenes of just Bruce Wayne being Bruce Wayne. Which, again, makes sense for that movie, but does suck because Michael Keaton's portrayal is so good. So you take out the Vicky Vale scenes in this movie, you you basically have no Bruce Wayne whatsoever. But, but because – here's the thing about this movie. I don't even want to get into the history and how it came to be because, first of all, it's such a well-known 
story at this point because this movie has had so much written about it but also i feel like it would take the entire podcast because this movie went through so much stuff to end up getting to burton keaton and nicholson so i think i think we do a disservice to this movie if we tried to run down all that and we wouldn't get to the actual movie so i will say that it's a great wikipedia journey uh, if you don't know it already, but, you know, this is a movie that was unsurprisingly in development for a long time. And there was a lot of different versions of what it was supposed to be before they kind of wanted to take advantage of the Dark Knight Returns tone and darkness. And then eventually settled on um, Tim Burton, who pushed really hard for Keaton while the studio really wanted Nicholson in there. It's kind of a if – you, if you're a fan of how – these movies come to be. This one's got a lot of twists and turns. So instead of talking about that, though, I would like to touch very briefly on the biggest criticism of this movie from a modern perspective and a little bit at the time, which is that Batman kills people. We can we can add on a little bit to that. The, the fact that Joker was the person who killed Batman's parents, which a lot of nerds don't like. And then also the fact that uh, Alfred just shows – Vicky, like, you're right. He's down in the basement playing his video games. <laughs> Just <laughs> tell him dinner's going to be ready pretty soon. Um, but I think the killing one is probably the most uh, known or the one that people talk about the most. So I'll tell you why I loved it as a kid. I loved it as a kid because what did I watch as a kid? A ton of fucking cartoons like G.I. Joe and Transformers and He-Man where people, like, there was just, like, gunfire filling the screen, laser gunfire, and shit would blow up, and then people would just jump out of exploding vehicles to safety, and I don't even know why they used guns in any of those shows, because they were literally only there to destroy their their motor vehicles and nothing else. <laughs> um, and so even as a kid, like, watching those shows, I really liked it, but I, I always felt like there was a lack of stakes, Right. So this was my first PG-13 movie. It was definitely one of my first, like, I, I I think adult movie is fair to say. So the fact that, like, Batman was not, like, murdering people in cold blood, but not taking any steps to stop their death or if the easiest way for him to get from point A to point B was to kill someone, he would do it. And I none of the violent or fascistic or due process implications that people like to talk about – in these comic book movies, which sometimes gets a little old to me, just because it's there is important between to discuss how an allegory works, which are some comic books, and sometimes it's just okay to accept that this is a comic book cartoon world. So the killing thing actually like seemed like finally a movie that kind of takes the fact that not everyone can jump out of the way of gunfire all the time seriously. It just felt so different from everything I was watching and kind of answering a complaint of all the media I was consuming at the time. So I, I definitely would never thought of myself as a bloodthirsty kid, but I did get annoyed that every TV show I was watching followed the same trope. And at the time, I probably didn't even understand why. Like, I didn't understand that they were doing that so that kids don't see people being murdered all the time, which is a good thing. It's, I'm not complaining about that. But for me, it was just like, oh, another time where their awesome guns can't do anything. So uh, speaking as someone who's a little younger than you, I didn't understand in this movie or the sequel that Batman was killing people so much as like death versus being alive and yeah. death versus being incarcerated. Like I didn't understand any of that. I just understood it as Batman won against these people. Which has its yeah. own implications, right? But, like, I was young enough that I was like, oh, Batman beat them. So, like, to me, Batman punching them out and Batman dropping grenades out of the Batcar to blow them up was 
an identical thing except for watching him punch people was more fun so, so that that's all I, I really wanted to punch in with because like as i was a little younger than you i didn't understand that batman was killing people i just understood mm-hmm. that batman was winning there is a lot of that because it, it's it isn't cold blood it's not like the punisher who's like like you said like almost like getting off on it's his only way to feel emotion again is to <laughs> is to kill people that in the most gruesome way possible yeah. heads through knives like well knives through heads mostly but sometimes heads through knives um sometimes it's head more into the knife than knife into the head you got to admit yeah, exactly. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like, hey, you know what? The easiest way to stop people from dying in horrible gas attacks? How about if I blow up the gas factory and hope the Joker's in there? Like, <laughs> you know, there's a there's taking aside the moral quandary issues of, of all that and the one for the many and stuff like that. For, from a logical kid perspective, it just makes sense to, oh, you want to stop the person from gassing the city? You should You should just blow up that guy. And then, you know, your your problem is solved. So I feel like that and the Alfred thing letting Vicky Vale into the Batman because Alfred would never do that. And uh, the the Joker being the person that kills Batman's parents instead of uh, Joe Cool is what this – why a lot of people nowadays say that this movie sucks. Though this movie is very – still, it, it is considered a classic. Um, for all Agreed. my problems with it, I think it's an unabashed classic. It is very important to film discussion. It is much better than a lot – like, I don't know, 90% of superhero yeah. movies. I think that there is a criticism criticism of this movie and the next movie, but I think that the vast majority of people remember this movie fondly. Yeah, and I think that's true, but I, I just have heard that those components stuck in people's craw. That's the way I'm going to start talking now. A lot of craw sticking. Yeah, um, you're just a common man. I'm just a common boy trying to do his best. So I guess I guess my problem is, though is summed up in something, you know, I hate to invoke Kevin Smith because he's kind of a maybe one of the most annoying internet personas around. Oh, he was so fun when when he, he was so great. with Kevin Smith things and then he just like burned all that goodwill. But I I kind of feel like he's the perfect example of a certain type of internet nerd who likes to shit on things when it makes sense to him and then will reverse his position the next day because I've heard Kevin Smith fondly recall Batman 1989 as the movie that superhero movies, like every comic book fan was walking out of there giving high fives because they finally did a gritty comic book movie and it was amazing and it was this big summer blockbuster and it was everyone's favorite movie that was a comic book fan. I've also heard him in separate interviews describe it as something that comic book fans hated because they didn't take – it didn't take the – um character seriously and it had alfred you know he killed people and it made it too much of a of a cartoon you know all these other criticisms about a the comic book version of them that i that i listed and i feel like that is the perfect way to sum up what i feel sometimes is the criticism of this movie which i i guess it's fair it's just that when you hear someone who i don't know it's it's like the people that say instinctively Return of the Jedi sucks without like going, yeah, okay, maybe it's not as good as the other ones, but I guess I just got so caught up into the internet hate templates about Return of the Jedi that I forgot that there's like a lot of really good stuff I like in that movie. And I I feel like this, that kind of like 
Kevin Smith, not even speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but almost like having a completely different memory depending on whether he's talking about how good the the Tim Burton movies are, how much he likes that portrayal, or then like when the new Nolan ones come out and he wants to shit on the old ones. And something about that is maybe this is a tangent not fair to paint on a lot of people, but something about that is just extremely frustrating to me and something that is so common on the internet where it's like this thing that I've talked about loving for 20 years. Now this new thing came out. I hate that thing. I never even liked that thing to begin with. And because of the, you know, we're going to talk about how kind of the Nolan movies redeemed Batman after Batman forever and Batman and Robin. I, I don't know. Like there's, there is some sort of weird thing where people like shitting on this movie and kind of claim they always didn't like it because of stuff that doesn't really ring true to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it's it's kind of good that these big budget movies that are within a franchise and are adapting uh, old source material are receiving a lot of you know focused attention. And yeah. people saying, does this fit with what my idea of the character, the franchise, the, the you know, the story is? Or does it not fit? I think it's good that a lot of these these stories are getting that kind of attention. Because I, I also think, like, these movies are going to make a zillion dollars no matter what. And it's good to question whether or not they fit within, you know, whatever cultural mode we want to have. And, uh, however, I agree with you that that comes with the baggage that we get a lot of loud assholes that feel that the, the, there's a rigidity to a character. There's a rigidity to a style, a tone that we need to adhere to. I firmly, firmly push back against that idea. I firmly yeah. push back against the idea that like Batman needs to feel realistic because that's insane. Uh, even Frank Miller's stuff that was leaning into modernizing the character and making him take on more like you know, edgy and more violent sort of scenarios. Mm -hmm. Even that was not realistic. That well, was... this is edgy and violent without being realistic. Yes, this is this is I think just as much an interpretation of the Frank Miller work as as uh, Dark Knight is. It's just Dark Knight leaned into Christopher Nolan as a very like, or at least he considers himself a very sober filmmaker, and it reflects on the characters that are in the movie. What you said it happens all the time, but I also feel like there's like that problem of the internet that we talk about all the time. Like you can't have two separate thoughts in your brain at one time. So yes, people look at Nolan and go, "Oh, that's the Batman I like." Now I can't like this one. And I guess why why I'm pushing back maybe unnecessarily is that I just. It's fine if you like the Nolan movies better or you never really liked the Batman Burton movies or something like that. But I feel like there's all these people like rewriting their own history with it that for some reason frustrates me where they are now acting like that in 1989 when this fucking movie was this probably not even an oasis, but like a magical lost city of Z that showed up to comic book fans that they were like, nope. Didn't even get close to what I like. Like, that's why I'm using Kevin Smith as an example, because I have heard him literally do this. And then I've heard his sentiments about these movies echoed in so many internet film bros that it's just like, I don't believe you. I don't believe that when you saw this movie in 1989, if you were of age to do that, you were a comic book fan, you walked out of there going, that sucked. Because what else was there? There wasn't anything. This was amazing to you. And I'm fine with the nuance. 
Oh, sorry, go on. I'll, so I'll, I'll just to finish my thought, like I'm fine with the nuanced take of, yeah, I was blown away by that. But then I, I'm so glad these Nolan movies came out because they actually are an even better interpretation of something I like or other comic book movies that came later. That That's like fine. My, my thing I'm weirdly pushing back is that I don't hear that as often as I do. I never liked those to begin with, which just rings so false to me. Um, I think that's an awesome point. I think we need to park there because that is a great point. The series is in a, a ways good and bad a grand indica- indicator of what superhero movies would be up until basically two or three years ago or at least you know until at least until dark knight and then a bunch of movies after that while superman made a lot of money superman's sequels made some money the grand structural form of this movie um the idea of introducing a character in this way that you have sort of a origin story combined with let's a villain origin story yes a little bit of an origin story combined with giving you you know their greatest villain and seeing if we can make a franchise out of it is the model of the movie from micro details to macro details yeah is let's throw an indie director and a big star and someone you're not who's famous but not quite famous for this role yes this is the model yeah. i do superman superman and a bunch of other superhero movies that happened before and between it, Superman is famous because it made a lot of money and you know two out of four of the movies are pretty good yeah. but this movie really the, the the shape of the movie the structure of the movie how it's made how it uh, it continued on as a franchise set the tone for what superhero movies would be forever I, I really don't think that Marvel revolutionized the format as much as people think I think that a lot of the problems that are in this I don't think they revolutionized the format of superhero movies. I think they revolutionized the format of a series of movies. Yeah. Which I I think think is a separate thing. I think one of the greatest revolutions that Marvel pulled on the the movies was to make them good. So people, like, they brought in good good talent and consistency, and then people looked (laughs) back on it to be like, oh my god, they did something crazy! And it's like, well, no, they just made a lot of good movies with a set producer who had standards for scripts and would not let something go forward without approval. Well, but I I would give them credit to, I mean, you name almost any movie franchise, and they were built on sequels to the other one. Marvel really is the first one that's like, let's do comic books, let's do – it's set in the same universe and you'll see maybe a character here and there, but it's just their own movie. That that basically wasn't done before 2008. So they, they didn't get all the credit in the world for revolutionizing oh, yeah. a movie series, but I agree with you that – I mean, even, even fucking Batman Begins. Uh, let's look at the goddamn similarities. Hmm. What do we have? Art House Director had a couple hits. Gives a chance to prove himself. Oh, do we have a, a guy who's on the verge of A-list and is well-known for certain things, but it's kind of like, oh, that's an interesting choice for Batman. I like him, but this is this is kind of going to be a new thing for him, and he's not quite a household name, although Michael Keaton might have been a little closer to a household name, but definitely not for action movies. Um, yeah. And then it's like, oh, how about we get one of the biggest older stars in the world – to be um to be the main villain. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I mean it's hard to compete with that 
for biggest star, but Liam Neeson's a pretty big get. And a pretty that same the same template as older villain that um, that Batman has to square off against. So right there, even Batman Begins in a lot of ways is following that that kind of um, archetype tentpole that Burton kind of set up in the way the movie was made. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great point. I think that. Um, but yeah, so if you don't, do you mind me kind of walking through some of my problems with the the movie? Yeah, I'm interested. I think, I'm interested to hear because I because I, I think this will this will kind of make my point of why okay. this movie kind of set the standard for what all future superhero movies would be. Yeah, um, let's let's do that, and then I know we're gonna run out of time very quickly. Yes, thankfully people have seen this, yes. so then let's go through let's go through your issues with the movie, and then let's just do some rapid fire shit we like, and just accept the fact that you've probably seen this movie. And we were we're not going to have as much time to talk about the individual stuff, which is probably good because you know what deserves it more: Batman Returns and probably the other two movies because those are probably less fresh in people's minds. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a great way to approach this. So, um, my my first problem with the movie is that it has uh, too many undercooked themes, and what that comes from is somebody adapting. Uh, at this point, it would have been, what, like 40 years, 30-something years of, of comic book history? Into... I think 40, 45 probably. Yeah. Uh, this was Too many undercooked themes. So the movie has Joker and Batman being the same thing, but the movie only sort of hints at that in a couple, a couple of dialogue exchanges. It has Batman trying to somehow claim a normal life with somebody, with him and Vicky Vale. That's also, like, undercooked. Yeah. The, the movie has uh, a, a origin story that they try and hook into the main of the movie, and I think it actually really hurts the movie. I think trying to get an origin story in there in retrospect is was a really bad choice, though people at the time were probably maybe people at the time were asking, like, why did Batman become Batman? I don't I don't I don't think when I was watching the movie in 2018. I, I, anybody was asking that? Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, there's just, like, a bunch of themes in there that are kind of undercooked, but the movie hints at all of them instead of committing to one. That's something that I think superhero movies have had a problem with in both Marvel and basically, you know, in, in the, the Marvel movies before uh, MCU came around, the X-Men movies, it was a problem with the Fantastic Four movies. It's a problem with all the weird little 90s movies where they were like, uh, uh, let's just like throw a bunch of character aspects in the movie and see what happens. This movie is just way better than most of those. See, it's interesting that you see those as defects because I, I barely see those as theme. The dead parent thing is so barely there and if anything it's and the even the vicky vale stuff like he doesn't want a normal life he doesn't want to turn his back on being a superhero he just is like oh this person accepts that i'm a weirdo cool i'll stay with her i would say that this is one of the few superhero movies that isn't trying to be anything else but a superhero movie i don't think there is any sort of underlining like allegory or satire or point that this movie's trying to get at, at like a deeper meaning. I think this, I mean, I think the best case you could make for some sort of underlying theme to this movie is that Tim Burton saw a simpatico strange man in the character of Batman as someone who has these like urges and made him somewhat 
biographical movie in the way that he would eventually do with like Ed Wood. But I feel like there's almost no subtext on screen. And this is literally just a a true comic booky cartoon with with a lot of dark edges story about a man who likes to be a a a, a Batman and uh just is gonna punch and kick and gadget his way through people that he thinks are bad guys and that's it and i i honestly i think i think a lot of movies just took so much of this and added so much subtext like even batman returns we're going to talk about it it's it becomes a lot more of like what separates the weirdos who are good guys from the weirdos who are bad guys and that's a lot of the reason i like the movie is the movie is about a bunch of weirdos it's yeah. all weirdos down. it's all freaks from, the, from yeah. top to bottom everybody is a fucking freak and yeah. everybody thinks they're the, the the like one who gets it yeah and they're all yeah they're all freaks trying to find like how, what their identity means and I, so i do think there's a lot more themes in the sequel i i don't think there's anything here and i don't mean that as a criticism i told you how much i love this movie i think this is and and maybe that's why i also think it's re- refreshing because so many superhero movies i i don't know if the the directors and the writers feel like there there is a pressure to be about something more than superheroes you know, you go down the list of like superhero movies, they're usually about something. And I like that this one's not. So I think a lot of people's complaints with this movie are that, you know, Batman kills. And the second one is that Batman um, is that Batman's uh, parent subplot feels a little stuffed in. I, I think that uh, it's barely there, though. Right. No, I think it's I think it's really, really important to the movie. And I think really? that it, and it, and it's a detriment to the movie. See, I think it's barely there. It has that quick flash. It's a well-directed scene. To let you know, but he only remembers it. He doesn't remember it when he's mourning. See, that's what I like about it. You don't flashback at that scene like you do in every other Batman movie when he's feeling down or you're trying to set up something about the character or to give him a thing. He flashes back to that scene when he puts it together that Jack Napier was the one who killed his parents. And that's why he just is so stoic looking at that computer like, oh, yeah, let me think back on that day. Oh, that was him interesting like he seems so unaffected by it i I just think that's i think that's the way michael keaton acts i think i think that you and i agree that we like the performance for that sort of like distance that michael keaton has where he's just sort of like i'm a regular guy but he like clearly isn't yeah but he go ahead so i have a big problem with the, the the um the murder thing because it immediately changes the movie from weirdo takes it upon himself to, you know, clean the city uh, of crime because his parents died and he feels like, you know, maybe if I can stop, if I can stop a dozen people tonight from, from you know, committing a crime, maybe I can save a dozen people from having to go through the pain that I went through, which is like the, the, the emotional core of Batman that's really potent to most people you could be like yeah my problem with it is it takes this plot where like he's just baffled by this joker character like he doesn't look like any of the boring old old hoods that he's dealt with he doesn't look like a mobster he doesn't look like anything he's got all these complicated plots and he like really has to put on his detective cap yeah in this movie to figure out the chemical shit yeah he did not have to do that in a lot of these movies because a lot of the villains show their hand very early they're like it's me this is what i'm doing try and stop me and this the joker is like it's me this is what i'm doing but what am i really doing 
I think that that's a really interesting dynamic, but I think introducing the murder plot makes the movie a lot dumber because it just makes it a revenge movie. See, I, but I don't even see it as a revenge movie. I, I think he's trying to piece together the psychology of him so that it's a true cat and mouse game so that he can get it. Think about when he confronts him with killing his parents. Like, you, sure, you can say that's how Michael Keaton acts, but I've seen Michael Keaton act behind just like, hey, you made me. Like, it's a, it's a comeback. And then Jack Nicholson responds to, oh, real childish. You, I said, you made me, so now you get to say that to me? Like, there's nothing in there. Like, when he – the look on his face when he's about to drop Jack or, like, not save him from the chemicals. Like, you look. That's the same look on his face when he throws that one-liner at the Joker's face. He does not seem like someone who is affected by that. But learning that about Jack Napier – I mean, think about it. He throws his own catchphrase in his face, like, give a dance to the devil in pale moonlight, and then, you know, punches him in the face. It feels like he's so removed from all of that, and he, he... But the fact that he's still thinking about it means that the movie is not, is not any longer about... It's not any longer about him saving Gotham. It's not about him saving Vicky. It's not. But I don't, I don't think it was. So, so no. Go ahead. Sorry. It's not about him saving Vicky. It's not about him saving Gotham. It's about him on a personal quest of revenge, like him having to come back. Like why? Why is saving Vicky and saving Gotham not enough for the movie? I don't understand why it's in. If it's not important to him, why is it in there? I think. I, I think it turns well, into let me a revenge you, movie, which makes the movie dumber. So I don't think it. It does not feel like a revenge movie to me in any way, shape, or form. Also, I guess. I guess this is probably the open question for this then do you feel like he is saving gotham to prevent innocent people from dying or do you think that's just part of like what gets him off is like defeating villains the sense i get at no point does he seem to care about innocent people he seems like he's in a he views this as like his version of chess like yeah saving people's good he, he's not like a i don't think a sociopath to the point that he would would not want to save people but he doesn't seem like disturbed or bothered that the Joker's like killing people on the news. He always gives that impression of how is he doing this? How do I stop him? And how do I find out how he's doing this? I think that's Batman's thing also is that like all he sees is suffering in the world. So he has built up the skin to it. Yet he knows internally that like that's that's the deal. Like you don't see Batman cry in the suit very often because Batman's deal is that he he goes after the people and no matter what happens at the end of that if if people get lost if he saves everyone at least I was here at least I could but, do something and he might I think feel some regret of... that he couldn't do more but like in this sense in this sense I feel like Batman not feeling like that is, is just him being like I'm in detective mode I need to focus sure but like Let's look at how this movie defines from the opening scene the terms of Batman. He doesn't save the family. He doesn't go give them their wallet back. He is clearly watching everything that's occurring, right? So he no he sees the family get robbed and has a gun pulled at the kid. He doesn't intervene then. It's when they're counting his money later that he shows up on the roof to beat the shit out of them. And then trumpet his own like, oh, tell people about me. I'm Batman. He doesn't seem all that concerned about saving people. He concerns more about, like, punishing or finding them when they go on the roofs and and then, like, alerting people. I, I think this movie is giving you pretty clear terms that this is not a Batman 
or a version of the character, he, he saves people because it follows his um, what he wants, which is to to be this 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 lunatic running around with these things and defeating bad guys and stuff like that. But I don't get the sense that he's doing it for revenge. I don't get the sense that he's doing it to stop people getting hurt the way that he was hurt by his parents getting. And I definitely don't feel like I, I get the sense that he's doing it to save innocent lives. That's why I think my biggest complaint about this movie is the ending where they give him the bat signal because I can't think of a version of this character that seems more disconnected from like communicating to the police at any point. Batman in the Dolan movies, you know, finds the honest cop and wants to talk to him. There is like nothing between the district attorney. <laughs> There's nothing between the, the police chief, the mayor anything like he he sends him the list at some point to a news station otherwise it's just like him doing his own thing and you know sometimes the police yell at him and shoot at him and he just like okay i'm gonna get out of the way now i'm gonna do my yeah, own thing that's guys- problem is, uh, gordon is not a, I, I, so you gordon is terrible the in these movies you have to ask the question which is a question that we usually don't ask on the show because i think do the, you feel lucky well our approach on the show is to take the text as text yeah. And I think it's kind of I think it's kind of unfair to take a movie as anything more than that because that's the movie what we are getting. But I do think that the troubled production of this movie might mean that some of our problems with whether or not Keaton was a fully formed character or why him and Gordon don't really have like a a connection and then there's just like an ending that is entirely about him and Gordon's connection uh despite the fact that 1989 a lot of people might not have known a lot of Batman's mechanics. No, I I think the '60s show gave him the. I mean, they were they had that red yeah, phone show, that went. The '60s show was kind of a bomb. The '60s show did, was not on on TV very long. It was sort of a Star Trek so, thing where like the cult t- picked it up later. Not really. I'm not trying to like actually you, but it was a huge hit. A huge, huge hit. It was like one of the biggest hits of CBS. And then in the second season, people got sick of it. Yeah, and so it got canceled the, the after show, three. I, I, but, but but that's it. Star Trek was, was never a show a that started in night, but this this was a show that started in what nineteen sixty six. This yeah. is a full twenty three years later. Like there's sure, entire, but it's not, but it's not like a cult thing. Like it was a national phenomenon. It was a national phenomenon for a year, and then it went sure. away, and then twenty three years later. We have this. Sure, sure, but I still think that's enough to understand, like, Commissioner Gordon. And, like, I, I'm just talking about basic mechanics. But, okay, so if if, if it, uh, that's a great argument for me. If people already understood the mechanics, people should have been doubly confused why he never even has a conversation with Commissioner Gordon, why there's, there's no real nailing down of why, you know, how does the police department feel about Batman? They want well, to catch him because they think he's a weirdo and they're like, what are you doing? You fucked up our, our, our strike. We had a strike yeah. going on and you fucked it up. Like, th- that's the only thing we get a sense of. And then at the end of the movie, they're like, actually, Batman is good. I guess that's the question because this Batman in this movie does not seem like he if, – if he wanted to work with the police if he was interested in fighting crime – he doesn't feel like to me like he's interested in fighting crime. He he feels like he's interested in like fighting and taking down people who he has chosen to be villains. So he has no reason to work with the police because what he's doing is not in any way trying to work in tandem with the police. He's 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 just out there spreading his name as someone who's going to go out there and do these things. So like again, I get it. Yeah, he doesn't have a relationship with Commissioner Gordon, but 
I think it'd be weird if he did in this movie. And that's why I think the weirdest scene in this movie, while I understand you want to have some triumphant ending and show the bat signal, it, it feels so out of place. Because, like, when did he contact them? He seems like he couldn't care less about what the police are doing or if his actions mirror them or anything else. Like, he's out solving his own, his own mystery. You you guys do whatever you want to do. But I, I, I'm not doing this for the same reason that you're doing this, which is – the difference between this and most Batman adaptions, where in most versions of Batman, Batman is doing this for the same reason the police are doing this. He just has different methods in a lot of ways. And in this movie, I don't think <laughs> he's he's in some way a psychopath who's who's pointed himself um, at bad guys. But I, I don't think he's doing it to cut down on crime in Gotham. He's just doing it because he's that's that's how he that's how he feels good. That's how he feels comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the character is so fucking weird in this because I I think Michael Keaton is a really good Bruce Wayne, but I don't buy him as Batman. And so, it, it, and it's not that I think that the characters are entirely dynamically separated. It's that I think that it's that I think that Bruce Wayne in this movie is is this really interesting fully formed character and then when he's in the batman suit he just like looks kind of wrong and awkward and i can't pick up on any characterization that he's putting out into the world uh in the way that i can i can pick up on the weird little ticks that michael keaton has and as bruce wayne i can pick up a million things when michael keaton is doing like a weird little tick as batman i'm just like the suit looks uncomfortable well, that may be true, and obviously, since I've you know I saw him in this suit at such a young age, it's it's probably a little bit harder for me to say it looks unnatural because it's just like, oh no, that's what he looks like. But I think, see, I, it's so funny that I know that he gets a lot of cre- credit for playing Bruce Wayne as this person who's uncomfortable in his own skin, and I think that's true. But I love that when you because when you go to Batman, he always has almost like this this half smile, and he just looks so satisfied to be doing anything and i think that works so well with with his other portrayal of bruce wayne he does seem like someone who just wants to just find some crime to scan police scanners to stay on buildings to find someone where he gets to go be batman because that's the only time he's really happy is being batman like the intensity and the look on his face when he's fucking around with crooks is like Ten times higher than even, like, his best moments with Vicky Vale. Because that's where he's at home. And I, yeah. I love that. He just looks he, – he looks pretty constant, but he just looks, like, so happy. Like, when you're not really smiling because if you walked around with a smile all day, people would think you're a weirdo. Or the Joker. Or the or, – yeah, or you had some botched surgery that left your face in a certain pose. But just kind of like when you have kind of a satisfied – smirk or half smile that's how he looks the whole time in the batman costume i yeah, love he, it yeah he's he, he's definitely hard the whole time right yeah that's why he had to have that uh special body armor because if he just wore tights he'd just be walking around with an obvious erection the whole time uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh no i fell again well he my just frame. walk exactly like robocop yeah exactly oh batman are you part robot Nah, just this penis <laughs> everything, everything i'm doing is making me feel real good so i mean I don't disagree with your some of your criticisms. I just I I just love this Burton version of Batman that it hits the broad strokes of the character but really makes him like just 
I'm making a movie about a weirdo that gets off on beating up bad guys and staying one one step ahead of these other people with their schemes. Like, he's like, I'm going to solve all these schemes. And that's like, that's it. That's his whole thing. And there's not really a theme and there's not really uh, a tone and there's not really a message. It's just, I'm going to make this with funny lines and exciting actions and gorgeous set design and gorgeous design and costumes and like... And that's it. It's going to be a movie about a weirdo who likes punching bad guys. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot to love here. So let me let me backtrack. Yeah. I did not intend to seem like the villain here. Let's just have a love. Let's have a love fest here for the last few minutes. I think. So hold on. Saying- I, I want to say I really like that conversation because I think I totally respect your view on the movie. I, I don't. I'm not trying to take that away from you because if anything, it helped me crystallize even more so why I think this is such a unique take on the character. While I just still made fitting you a structure. Stronger? I think you just made me stronger. So if anything, <laughs> I'm even more tuned in. But again, it's not that I don't. I don't. I'm not saying that you're wrong. It's just that I just I just see a lot of what you feel is missing as strengths and and kind of the whole point of the movie or what or 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 the or the way that Burton is very purposely trying to portray Batman. Yeah, I I I think that Burton built in and baked in a lot of. Um, himself into the role the yeah. weirder the weird outsider who doesn't feel totally at home with all these this hollywood bullshit and i think that there's a i think that there's a power in that and how weird the movie feels and yet it was it was positioned as the biggest movie ever and people took it as the biggest movie ever and internalized a lot of his lessons but i, I yeah. need to talk about uh well the last the last thing i'll say that doesn't work for me in the movie so aaron what state? What state are you currently residing in? Uh, Minnesota. Can you maybe guess what I want to talk about right now? Who's, who's the biggest Minnesotan you can think of? The tallest, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> <laughs> who's the the the? Well, this is this person is very short, famously short. Oh, Prince. Yeah. Oh, you don't like the Prince songs? Get the fuck out! No, of no, no, no. <laughs> I like the Prince songs. I think that they are poorly used in the movie it is really it is so it is so mean to be fair watching jack nicholson try and dance to prince songs because jack nicholson a can't dance at all uh he can't dance the bat dance at all and uh the prince songs are great i oh don't worry i listen to the prince songs i need to put this down right now before i criticize prince hold on before i criticize prince i need to put something down here this is not Prince's fault. They asked him to make some pop songs for a Batman movie. The editor and whoever the fuck asked him to make pop songs for this Batman movie misstepped wildly. I think Prince is better than MJ. I think he's a goddamn genius. I think his movie should not. I think his songs should not have been in this movie. <laughs> so and I listen to them separately and they are great songs by themselves. Look, you're you're on the side of history on this one, Peter. I'm going to give you that. So am I? I? I thought people loved the Prince stuff. Uh, no, I think I think there is a general consensus. Even like Shaun of the Dead. Remember when they had the Batman soundtrack and they're like, "Yeah, shoot that fucker one." I think there's it's a not. General- a, it's, yeah, it's not a, a um, labyrinth situation. No, I think there. I think there is a as much a consensus as you can get on the internet that even if you like the Prince songs, what the fuck are they doing in this movie? Here's why I think they work. Here's my quick sixty second defense. One. There's only two songs, and they're, are but used, they're they play like that are used in the movie, songs. and both of them are used diegetically. So you can make the case that Jack Napier is a big fan of who knows if his name is Prince in this Batman universe, but this artist 
because he plays them when he goes and has fun. He he plays them at the museum, which is a scene I love because those henchmen are the most enthusiastic henchmen in any comic book movie. They love being henchmen. It, it, oh my it, god, it, they love they love fucking up that museum. They're dancing all around. They're do they have their own thing going on. And it's he great. has to tell them the Joker has to tell them not to spray paint a certain portrait because There's, he loves it. Yeah, they're so into it. They're like doing their own dances to it. He, I'm assuming he did not have to pay the henchmen in this movie. They're not hired goons. They're there <laughs> for the art. Yeah. They're like hipsters that like follow a, a band around. Um, and then he plays it. And then he plays it again during the parade. And it's a song trust when he's giving a speech about and he's referencing the song while doing these awkward dances. And yeah, the dances are super awkward. But it works because why would the Joker have to be a good dancer? This is a complete psychopath who's had his brain partially melted by chemicals, who clearly likes this artist, and is having a blast out there whenever he's fucking up stuff. Okay. And that includes dancing. Okay, we need okay, we need to just move out of this. Because yeah. we need to talk right. about Jack Nicholson. We've been Trust. talking about Batman mechanics yeah. for and so Michael long. Talk about is, Nicholson. Okay, we talked about how good Michael Keaton is in this and how interesting he is. We disagreed on whether or not he's a good Batman, but I think we agree that he is an amazing Bruce Wayne. And yeah. what what that what that means might be a little different, but like I think we're I think we're basically on the same page. Um for one, I want to say right now, Nicholson and the is the aesthetic center of this movie. Mm -hmm. I think that he's the real star here. The aesthetic, the tone, and the score are the stars here. Kim Basinger, I think, takes a really thankless role, actually, and turns some magic she's really, into She's it. really good at it, but again, there's, there's, right. there's we a talked lot, about there's this. There's a lot going she's on there so you get, Yeah, she's there so that you get a couple scenes with, with Bruce Wayne. That's it. She is so. And she does really good with that, but that's that's what the role is. We're not going to talk about Kim Basinger in detail this time. Let's let's save it for like an LA Confidential episode because she's yeah. not like that important to the movie, to be honest. But yeah, she, I think I think the rest of this time we should probably spend talking about Robert Jack Wall. <laughs> God damn it, Robert Wall is such an interesting dude because like Bruce Wayne, he was like this nerd stand up eighties comic who like he was in like a couple really major movies. <laughs> For no reason other than the 80s loved stand-up comedies or stand-up comics. And he's just in this movie. Like, why is yeah. why is he in this movie? I like, doing doing snappy bits and throwing one-liners and Kim Basinger. <laughs> I, he's, he's not in this movie that much, but he's just so big he, like, he stays with you because he, like, disappears for an hour and a half. And then at the end, he's like... Try to save people when the gas is coming. But we don't need to talk about Robert. Yeah, so, so uh, last we'll night, do that when we have our R-list year. We will we do our, our, our list. year of our list. With a dollar you mean sign. our uh, money, money, yeah. money? Our list dollar sign. I think it's two S's, one with a dollar sign. So it's our list dollar sign. Wait, only one of the S's is with a dollar sign? I think there's two S's at the end of our list. There is. But they're one of them not dollar signs? Oh, let's look. The fans need to know. The fans need to know. Our list was with the first time that I was ever no, like. No, well, you're right. You're right. It's all, so it's Arlie dollar sign dollar sign. <laughs> Thank you for edifying my truth. Yeah. Um, so so Jack Nicholson is the is is the, the 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 ballast to the movie. He makes the whole movie just work. He's so fun. He was another person that everyone threw out with the bathwater. When I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Heath Ledger's performance isn't better. 
in the sense that, sure, they both portrayed the same character, and Heath Ledger gave one of the most iconic best performances of all time. So, sure, it's better, but in some ways, it's also like saying, like, oh, which is a better movie? Like, Casablanca or It Happened One Night? It's like, I guess, class, you know, Casablanca is clearly like, a top five movie of all time on a bunch of different scales, but like it happened one night is charming and fun, and it's also a really good movie. Like you don't need to compare it to Heath Ledger. You can say that this is just a great Joker performance. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's entirely rude to try and compare the performances too much. I think it's fair to be like compare them to uh, 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 on approaches. But I yeah. think their two approaches are for two different fucking movies. Like, this movie is so different from Dark Knight. That's part of the reason I defend the Nolan movies, because I do think that the... You don't need to defend them. They're great movies. <laughs> I think I think the particularly Dark Knight stands out from kind of every other superhero movie that we've made in the past, yeah. like, 15, 20 years. And I love a lot of Marvel movies. Don't get me wrong. Um but I think it stands out in a specific way. I think that the, the the performance that Nicholson gives in this movie is so funny and so singular. And it's it it's expert casting. By the way, it took some behind the scenes. It took it took some it took some uh, wrangling. They basically used uh, Robin Williams as bait to get uh, Jack Nicholson in there. Yeah, and let's let's talk about the Robin Williams stuff when we do Batman Forever. Because yeah, it, it, it's he a, was he was really trying to do something. I think it makes sense to talk about it then because I just don't want to. Yeah, yeah. So he basically uh, Jack Napier dash the Joker is a recontextualization of the character. I think this is actually one of the more interesting re- recontextualizations that Batman literally created him as opposed to figuratively created him. Yeah, he created an environment that created a Joker. Uh, is is way more subtle and way more you know realistic yeah and the more thematically resonant but that's yes. the thing this movie doesn't have this movie doesn't have subtext so he literally created him by pushing him into a vat yeah or might as well have pushed him into a vat yeah so uh nicholson is this animal this <clears throat> this this person that wants he goes from a guy who's a sort of He's a little bit of a preening sociopath who is like very – he's actually kind of close to Patrick Bateman in a yeah. way. He's this preening sociopath who's who's sleeping with uh, his boss's wife, boss's girlfriend, whatever. And uh, and it feels like more of a power play than a, a you know, a lust or love thing. Yeah, he just wa- he just wants to be the Grissom. He wants yes. – Grissom is the mob boss played by Jack Palace uh, who is in this movie not for a long time but is really great. I feel like the other line of this movie I say all the time is you are my number one guy. Because yeah, – <clears throat> that's Which is even my- better because I love when – I love when uh, the Joker uh, mimics him, mimics Jack Palance doing that. Oh, oh so uh, that is the best Joker moment is yeah. when he does that because that also makes you – that makes the movie very clear. Like, wait, why do, why do people follow the Joker? He seems to murder his own henchmen quite a bit. They're enthusiastic. They love the art. That's the other thing. This movie makes him uh, a homicidal artist. 
and he just kind of wants recognition for his work. So, like, his whole rivalry with Batman, he doesn't care about – like, if if Batman was would stop getting news headlines and press, he doesn't have that normal motivation where, like, the Joker and the Dark Knight or a lot of these villains are, like, obsessed with the with the superhero, either killing them or stopping them or revealing him or they were – they created themselves to go after him. He's just like, this guy's stealing my headlines, and so I need to knock him out as a result of that. His first few schemes have nothing to do with Batman. They're just trying to get his name out there and cause chaos, get himself on TV, cause problems. And then when Batman not only thwarts him, but more importantly gets all his headlines, that's when he's like, this guy's got to fucking die. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which but is great. It's great. It's he's like, the star of the burn too bright. Yeah. He's just a narcissist artist and and uh and that's that's it everyone knew grissom's name he wants everyone to know his name um but for something a little different also the 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 um death and rebirth aspect of the character is very important yeah as soon as he becomes the joker he dies and is rebirthed as the joker he's like Wait, why are these rules in place? And he completely breaks the mob organization to basically make it a entire organization built around his narcissism. Well, it's is, great too because oh, he—it's so he, good. He gets so he, first of all, he gets all the mob on his side. He kills normal movie, kills the one guy that speaks up in the boardroom, and then everyone else agrees to be on his side. Then the next time we see any of them, he just kills them all in front of everyone anyway to announce that he's a new person in time while he dresses as a mime. Then the next time we see him, he's not even living in like the big apartment mob stuff like you expect. He's living in like a basement where he just does all his art. Yeah, he 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 went from like this dream of I want to be the Grissom and the head of this like alliance of mob organizations to, you know, I'm just going to follow my id. I'm going to follow my back yeah, and just do whatever yeah. now. He's he's on his own journey, okay? He's he's on a I think we should respect him. Yeah, we should respect the journey. We should respect the hustle. The art. Um, the art. Ha- hashtag be you, you know? But he's, he's – a, it's an amazing depiction of the character. I think that we need to I, – I, I think that, like, without him in that role, if it was anybody else, it might have fucking sucked. Here's the thing about Tim Burton. He is so fucking good at making villains and weirdos yeah. and outsiders. Yeah. He, he he doesn't like making the straights and the 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 heroes and the he doesn't like making those characters. He only likes them to make them when they he doesn't uh, relate to them. And filmmakers rarely make movies about people that they don't relate to on some level. Yeah. Do you feel like so? Here's my Tim Burton theory, which is a good time to throw out when we're already over time and have more stuff to talk about. But very quickly, my Tim Burton theory is that his movies have gotten worse because as he, he started out making movies about outsiders when he felt like an outsiders and a weirdo when he felt like a weirdo. And as he, not just he has become more used to being in Hollywood and around the people that he was, but also like movies themselves borrowed so much of his aesthetic that when he's watching other movies, he probably feels less isolated that his movies are so different for anyone. And as such, he's still trying to make movies about weirdos, but because he no longer relates to those movies anymore they are just like someone doing like a tim burton routine where oh yeah i just make strange things right okay i'll do this is kind of weird i'm gonna do that but there's nothing like 
inside that's actually like giving the heart to his weirdos that we all fell in love with. That's a pretty good theory. That's a pretty good theory is that he's lost touch with the weirdos and he just likes the weird now. And uh, hollow weirdness is uh, just as bad as reading a 13 year old's MySpace page. Like, (laughs) yeah, which Peter does at least three hours a day for research. Right, Peter? Yeah. Research is the is well, what the tax write off is. Oh, yeah. That's um, important. Yeah, Guys, the IRS. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, it's it's so tax week. It's this tax comes week. Out. Um, so pay your taxes. Pay them um, or don't pay them. I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. Roll the um, dice. Trump's in charge of the government. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, so I, I feel like that's a pretty good theory. Because- so let's um, – I think, I think we, we kind of have to sort of be done all of this. This I think bodes very well for the month because I think there's, there's a lot to talk about in these movies. There's a lot to talk about around these movies. So let's just do some really quick things that we didn't get a chance to talk about and then, uh, and then we can wrap this up. Um, I – two very quick things. I noticed the parallels between the um, I want you to hit me scene from The Dark Knight uh, with the the scene where <laughs> Batman is firing missiles at the Joker down those – that kind of like narrow uh, street where uh, obviously in the in the Dark Knight, the Joker is, is asking for Batman to hit – to kill him and he can't do it. And in this one, uh, the Joker doesn't really want Batman to kill him but is like – Okay, here's your shot, and Batman tries to kill him and fails. So this this it's very different, so, yes. But it, yeah. it re- they really feels like uh, two sides uh, of the same coin. One one other very quick Joker thing. Um, it's really a triumph of design of this movie that the creepiest the Joker looks and the scariest he looks is when he is wearing the uh, human makeup over the Joker makeup. That kind of fucked me up a little as a kid. I think that was the most scared I was like when – because it's just such a weird color on him with that messed up face. Is that just Jack Nicholson in his – in shiny makeup? With his mouth still there. So I I feel like the – So Jack Nicholson, shiny makeup and then in the scene where he wipes wipes away sweat, he is wiping white paint on – no, I think so, that's the deal. I think that he's wiping white. I think he's wiping white paint onto his forehead. So that's what confused me as a kid. So when he falls into the vat, that changes the color of his hair and his skin and everything. So what he's no, doing? No, no, no. I mean in uh, production. In, oh, in the okay. movie, I think it's the opposite. In the movie, his skin is actually white for sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm asking how they did the trick. I think then the I think the trick is that his skin. Yeah, was, that would make sense. I think the skin is is his normal skin color, but with a bunch of makeup on, and then he's wiping white paint on his forehead to make it look like he's wiping off paint. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it is a it is a weird trick though that I still remember kind of not totally getting that his skin had been changed when I was a kid to that color. I thought he was probably wearing makeup, so that scene just was so confusing to me in a way that like just kind of broke my kid brain and then thus uh thus scared me proceed into my final thoughts on the movie um yeah. no matter what you think about batman whether or not this was a, a, a production issue that that's why sometimes batman seems a little weird and the characterization of batman seems a little weird because they had to maybe shoot you know multiple retakes and multiple um versions of different characters to like make it all fit together regardless of what you think about that the one thing the movie is missing is that sort of like 
human Gotham element. Like, who are the people below Gotham? And, who are the people below Batman and the Joker that have to deal with all this bullshit? Um, and, and I think that that's kind of what the movie is to me. I, I love the style of it. I love a lot of the performances in it. I love, like, the fact that it wasn't going for this, like, cold realism. Because, you know, 1989 cold realism would look like shit today. But this movie ages really well because it's going for, you know, the Art Deco sort of uh, German expressionist kind of thing as opposed to either, yeah, brightly colored 80s bullshit or like a super realistic grounded version of the character. Both of those would have looked like shit. Uh, look at the uh, Dolph Lundgren Pun- uh, Punisher movie for the alternatives. <laughs> what and about I, the 1990 Captain America movie? That's the 1990 good, right? Captain America movie would have been a great example of, of yeah, like, do you want to see a candy-colored version of, of Batman? That's it. Because, um, well, not even candy-colored, just life-colored. Yeah, I mean, this one's a lot of browns and blacks, and that's what chocolate is. So, I, I would say that this is a candy-colored movie. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's my final thought on the movie is that I, I, I'm a fan of it. Really, I really dig it. But I have some qualms with the way that it is structured. And I do not put a lot of those on Burton. I put a lot of those on the producers not having faith in Burton to realize his strange vision. He definitely got that chance in the movie we're going to be talking about next week. Yes. I guess, you know, yes. um, the, the part about not getting to see the Gothamites doesn't bother me because to echo kind of – I kind of talked a lot about my overall thoughts on this movie for a lot of episodes. So I don't need to go through it. But, you know, Batman – I don't see Batman as caring about the Gothamites and I don't see Joker as caring about the Gothamites all that much. Either of them, they're both just kind of pawns in – their chess match. It just so happens Batman's on the side of saving them and, and Joker's on the side of, of killing them. It wouldn't make sense to me, but um, I really I really love this conversation. I'm very excited for this month because one of, one of the fun things that happens sometimes on this podcast is where Peter and I both really like a movie, but we find that our take on the movie and is completely different. And, like, and that can be kind of fun because – there's obviously the we both like the movie for the same reason or that kind of um, discussion you have with people. And then there's the, oh, we are on opposite sides of the coin and I like the movie and so and so hates the movie. And sometimes it's fun to be like, oh, we both see this movie in a different light and from a different perspective and maybe disagree with what it's trying to accomplish. But we both like the movie. Where's, yeah, it's, where's, it's fun that where's, it's fun. where's where's that difference coming from? So we're not we're not arguing about whether the movie's good or not. We're basically arguing or having a discussion about why we think it's good while disagreeing with the other person's opinion of why it's good because we think that part's bad and I know that's convoluted. It's kind of what's happening and that's a that doesn't happen that often. I think it doesn't happen that often. I was just say on this podcast, but in general because normally if you're coming from a movie from two different perspectives, it's rare to like a. I think I think that's it's a rare position, and so it's happened a few times on the show. I like when it does because it lets us kind of bounce um, bounce our opinions off each other very well while disagreeing with each other's like supporting paragraphs while uh, agreeing with each other's theses. <laughs> so it's always a lot of fun. So I I really I love this conversation, and I'm excited to see where it continues. 
um, the next three episodes that we do because obviously Batman Returns answers a lot of your problems with a lack of theming. It doesn't really answer your problems about caring about Gothamites or Batman's interpretation, but it definitely is getting at a little something deeper and also takes away some of the problems with um, Burton not getting the full kind of final cut control. And then, and then we're going to go to someone deciding that how do we how do we back away from that Burton vision while still keeping people in the theater. So, I'm very excited to talk about where this all goes the rest of this month. Yeah, I am I'm very pumped because we clearly have a lot of opinions on what Batman is and should be and they're just far enough away that we can have a good discussion. Um so yeah, Batman returns next week. It's next week weird, it's going to be a weird movie, right? I I'll say so. I usually rewatch Batman Returns every Christmas. I knew we were doing this for this month when Christmas was around, so I didn't watch it this year. So, and I haven't watched it as of this recording. So I'm itching and excited to to watch it. Uh, as excited as I was to watch this, I'm I'm even more um, more excited to watch Batman Returns because I feel like skipping it this year. There's something like missing. There's a hole that needs to be filled. Do you want to rephrase that last part? No, I want to say it louder and slower. <laughs> There's a hole in me that needs to be filled. It can only be filled by uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> Preferably uh, squawking. Um, all right. Uh, and then for Batman Forever, we're going to be joined by a new guest that we're very excited to have on who who was very excited to talk about Batman Forever, which is perfect uh, because that's that's a weird one. That's like not as – negatively received as Batman and Robin, but then some people say it's actually worse nowadays. And I, again, a lot of people loved it because, I mean, there was there was two years where if Jim Carrey was in the movie, it was your favorite movie of all time. Uh, so Luke uh, Seckington is going to join us to talk about Batman Forever. And then we're going to wrap this up with Batman and Robin, which still may have a guest. But at this point, that's like eight years away. So who knows what's going to happen? Um but we uh, we're definitely we're definitely gonna be talking about that, and we'll talk about what we're doing for May uh, soon. But you know, if you figured out what we did last year, you may you may have an idea. <laughs> may have an idea. You um, may have an idea. You may have an idea. Let's let's do this all four episodes where we tease <laughs> it like this, and then never remember to say what it is. Watching Peter. the days go by, let the water hold me down. <laughs> Peter, I know it's time to end this episode. You know how? How? You gave me the psycho! <laughs> good night. <laughs> the worst line delivery in the world. Good night and good luck. Batman. Batman. Good night and good luck, Batman. Good night and good luck, Batman. <laughs> the Edward R. Murrows of Gotham. <laughs> Good luck tonight, Batman. Yeah, good luck. Go get out there. Go get some bad guys. Get out there, sport. Go do some Batmaning. That's Alfred, like, rubbing his cowls and then, oh, my hand's bleeding. Sharp (laughs) cowl. All right, now, really, good night for real this time.
Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.